Welcome back to Venture Studio, the podcast where your host, Dave Lerner, entrepreneur, angel investor in 60 plus companies and director of entrepreneurship at Columbia University, interviews the angel investors and venture capitalists who make up New York City's entrepreneurial ecosystem. I am your producer, Kevin Weeks. This week, Dr. Ulrich Kwai, the head of BMWI Ventures, joins us on the podcast. If you like this episode about mobility and hardware, then you'll love Dave's interview with Jenny Fielding, the head of Techstars IoT program. Check out our entire archive at VentureStudio.org or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play as of last week. Remember to subscribe on iTunes so you never have to miss an episode and follow us on Twitter at VentureStudio to stay up to date. BMWI Ventures invests in cutting-edge solutions focused on the mobility needs of the urban population. This corporate venture arm of BMW invests in high-potential startups in all stages, which are dedicated to shaping the future of global mobility. In today's episode, Ulrich talks about BMWI's investment focus, some trends in mobility and vehicle technology, and a few of BMWI's portfolio companies such as Zerks, Life360, and ChargePoint. And now, without further ado, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office with Dave Lerner and Ulrich Kwai. In the office, baby. Thanks so much for joining. It's great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Maybe let's begin with you telling the audience about BMWI Ventures, which is actually here in New York City. I, I bet a lot of people don't know. Yes, we are. We have an, a nice office in the, in the West Village, um, about 7,000 square feet, where we have about 50 tables. I would probably not call it an accelerator, but it's rather a space where we we, we join we, we rent out the space to startups, startups that we like, startups in our space, startups that are not in our space. Um, so we have a very good environment, very good atmosphere where we also have um, run meetups every three months, um, pitch events, and it gives us you know good opportunities to to host events and and um, organize them ourselves. Fantastic. And what's what's the rough size of, of your fund and, you know, how many investments do you do a year? Give us a, a sense mm-hmm. of that landscape. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, so first of all, we don't, we're not a fund. Our legal department told me uh, that we always make clear we, don't, we are not a formal okay. fund. We, are, okay. we are make off-balance sheet investments. Um, have, um, in 2011, we, we, we um, sent out a communication that we were, um, we have $100 million available to make the investments. I see. And out of that commitment, we make the investments. Um, so far, we've done 20-plus investments in 14 different com- companies. So a couple of follow-on rounds. Um, in, in, in total, 14 uh, companies we invested in. One of them uh, is, has been sold uh, to Apple. And um, But, you know, uh, all the others are still alive. So sometimes I get the – with one exception. Uh, I sometimes get the uh, people tell me, well, you have not been aggressive enough because yes, too many of your of your startups have, are still alive. So I'm and I'm glad they are. So and, and I'm happy to tell my my guys in the headquarters that they still are. But um, uh, you know, some pure venture capitalists tell me you're not aggressive enough. So maybe I change that in the future. Right. And most of these investors probably don't have to report to executives from a hundred year old company yes, like yours. That's, that's true. So yeah. it's a good problem to have. Let's dive into the the fascinating world of cars. It's really mind-boggling. I'm trying to get my head around it. You see an enormous amount of activity with uh, the big car manufacturers. You know, General Motors just put 500 million into Lyft. Uh, they just acquired Sidecar's assets a couple of days ago. They announced a new service. Google is working with Ford. 
Apple, it's an open secret. They're, they're working on self-driving cars. Tesla just launched something called Summon. And of course, you know, Uber bought up basically all of Carnegie Mellon's ro- robotics department. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're, they're working on, you know, the, the concept of a car is something we own and it's a family vehicle and you, you're going to own it for 10, 15 years. That, that's kind of going away, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, if you see all the, um, if you if you see that four percent of the time your car is being used, and the car is usually the second biggest investment that anyone does, it's not surprising, right? That especially in, in urban areas, um, that for some it's not that convenient to own a car. Um, so I think as a, as a car manufacturer, it's a, it's a smart move looking into alternative um, revenue opportunities. I think that the traditional business will still be very. Um, you know, work well for 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 some time to 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 come. Even though there are of course components in the car that become more autonomous. Uh, until you have a totally autonomous car, um, it probably takes uh, still a good while. And there, as you know, there are the the, the opinions differ when that happens. You know, mm-hmm. first cars may be available in a couple of years, but you know, market wide um, availability will still take some time. So I think. Now is a good time for, for manufacturers to get prepared for the time when cars are getting more autonomous. And that's also the reason why some companies have been, has some uh, increased engagement had over the past couple of uh, weeks and months. I know we've, you know, in hindsight, BMW was quite um, early on um, in 2008, we, we announced that we want to be the uh, a premium number one service provider. Um, and that right. in hindsight, that was seven years ago, right? And Uber was just, has just been built at that time. Right. So I think the guys had the same at the right, they knew already in 2008 that this is something which how many manufacturers have to look into um, and um, on top of selling cars. And it's, it's, it's only logical that some other car manufacturers become aware of that as well and then right. take, take action. You, you say opinions differ. You, you, you're seeing it in two or three years that some version of autonomous cars is, is widely available. I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert in when autonomous cars are being available from what I read is that, you know, Google seems to have a car ready in, in a couple of years time. The question is when, you know, will, will is such a car able to to be bought by by consumers, not only used on, on certain campuses in a, in a in a closed environment? That's that's you know up to the regulators. I can't say um, when that's the case, but at some point it will be available. And then, of course, the business model changes for manufacturers. You, you know, the usage will go up, um, and you will sell probably uh, cars to different customers um the jury is still out whether it's good for premium manufacturers or not and some say it's it's good because um you still have your enthusiasts who mean you drive a bmw because you you like cars you like driving your car so you can argue well while you have may have an autonomous car you still want to drive your car uh, um when, it, when it's really fun so so there's a good chance that manufacturers like bmw or other premium manufacturers are not maybe not that affected because people like still driving their cars, but there's of course also an argument um, in general. Um, you know, people will more use uh, fleets and, and use them on a uh, on an off basis, and then maybe have either have no car or use their their own car much less. Of course, there's there's an argument, so you better look into that and, and think draw your own conclusions and think about what you're going to do in the future. You know, I'm I'm a big driver myself, and. Uh, I have to ask this. I mean, I see these people on the road. They're texting. They're looking down all the time. It's it's incredibly. It's frightening. Do you see uh, solutions sort of creeping into 
manufacturer of cars that will address this, you know, with autonomous modes or other solutions down the road? Well, the, the, the way to autonomous will be gradual. Um, in my perspective, at certain, at certain times, you can hand over um, control to the car when it's in, in traffic jams or on, on a highway. That's rel- it seems that this is relatively easy. The urban environment is more complicated. Um, so I think it probably starts with handing over control at certain times when it's relatively easy to, to take over. It's, I don't think that the car will take over as soon as someone texts. No, no, that's, <laughs> I think it will always be the decision of the driver. Uh, there may be I mean, insurances may put in place stuff where they draw their own conclusions. That they can check whether someone is texting. So I would rather expect the insurances to look into that uh, that problem. I don't expect that the car stops driving if as soon as someone touches the phone. So that's, that's certainly not. I don't think that's some, something that manufacturers have in mind. Even though I don't have any inside information, that's just my personal guess. Everyone's speculating that. Within 20, 30 years, a huge chunk of the, of the human population will be living in cities. But before we dive into the, quote, unbundling of cars, uh, let's go back to something you said before. You know, a lot of people love driving their car. They love owning their car. A lot of people live in the, in the suburbs. You know, they have mm-hmm. families, they have kids, they commute in. In that world that, that we're describing, what do you guys see as as the percentage of people that are still want to have their own car and not participate in all this ride ride sharing stuff. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, it's really, my guess is as good as yours. I don't have any inside information. I don't have any secret strategy, what BMW thinks is going to happen. I think there will be a tendency that, um, you know, families nowadays might own, own two cars that maybe they only own one car and the second car is either a car sharing vehicle this is also why we, you know, offer car sharing with more than 500,000 users, uh, which is particularly you know, popular in Europe, but we're also going to launch it in the U.S. and in, in a number of cities. So certainly having a car sharing offer is useful to address certain, um, uh, you know, certain customers that may not be able to afford a BMW or may not need to, to own a BMW. So you give them the opportunity to try your product out, to, um, um, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of, of rides with people. And, and it seems that most of the guys who use car sharing have not been BMW customers before, which is a good good thing. So it's not yes. cannibalizing your core business. It's rather um, enables that people are getting acquainted with your products, getting used to your products, and they are, will be more likely in buying the products once they've driven, people have driven around in a Mini for a couple of years as part of a car sharing offer. When they, in the moment when they need to own a car because they need it more often, they move to the suburbs, then... I'm convinced they're more likely um, to buy a Mini because they've they've used the product, they like it, they know how it works, and it's um, you know it's a pleasure driving a Mini or a BMW. So this is the motivation behind offering car sharing. And this, of course, there may be people who get rid of one of their cars because they say, well, why do we pay for two parking spots when we only really need one car and the second one not so often? And we can always address the the mobility need by using by renting a car for the occasions when we need two cars so i can totally see that but that's i think fine and it's it's just something that you need to consider as a manufacturer when you think about your mobility offer this is certainly something certainly one of the reasons why you know car sharing is attractive for manufacturers got it okay in in your approach uh you're in 13 or 14 companies by now give us a sense i mean i see we've both uh invested in zerks which Mm -hmm. is run by sean bear very very talented entrepreneur Tell us a little about Zerks and some of your other uh, investments and, and a little about the rationale, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the rationale, I think, in general is we would 
you know, make the investments um, to um, first of all get a good insight of what's happening in the world. Um, so it's it's we have seen the trends coming very soon. Uh, we have known you know, we've looked at Uber. And we will we launched in 2011. First thing we did look at companies like Uber, Lyft, and others when they came up. So we were always very aware what's happening, what's going on. Um, that was, I think, helpful for the organization um, in, in, in making the right decisions. That, that's rather, rather, I would say, a general um, right. reason and, and making the, the company a little bit smarter. And it's probably one, one reason for having a venture unit. Um, more concretely, I think it's our investments have helped our, our mobility services division um, Offering the right services, offering them, uh, making the services better. If in Zerx is a good example, um, we have um, the way we want to co cooperate with them is bring them together with DriveNow. So DriveNow has sometimes certain uh, occasions, uh, certain pain points. The first pain point is the car is not nearby, mm -hmm. and the second pain point may be there's not, you know, there's no parking where I want to go. And you can address, using Zerx, you can address those pain points very well by having the car delivered to where you are. And, and then almost having, you know, having experience like Uber, just be your, you're the driver. So you don't, first of all, often you want to drive because I, I feel more safer when, when I drive myself instead of being driven by someone who's at the end of a 12-hour shift. And, and she, you may have drive not you know, in a way that I don't appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the second Secondly, it's also a cost factor, right? You take the cost factor driver out of the equation, right? So driving, you know, when I go to Munich, and taking drive now is, is first more fun. And secondly, it's, um, it's also cheaper than, than taking, taking an Uber. Um, so, you know, using a service like Zerx, it makes drive now very, to me very attractive, right? It's, it addresses both pain points for those who are not so cost sensitive and there may be others who are willing to walk five blocks who are a lot more, more cost sensitive. So you offer, you know, a compelling, something very compelling product to your users and you can use it, um, you know, for short distances, you can use it for the whole day and, and especially when you have long trips, you know, just paying a couple of dollars for someone who's, who's, who's uh, bringing the car is, is not really that relevant. So, to us, it's a, it's a, it's a very uh, interesting component that um, adds value for the customer and brings the service to a more even more premium level. Um, so that's that was the main thinking behind Zerx. Got it. Got it. Uh, I see you're in you're in some other companies here. You're in uh, MoveIt and uh, ChargePoint and Life360 mm -hmm. and a company called Summon. Yeah. Uh, tell tell us about some of those. Yeah, um, we so first of all, this, these are some of the examples that we have communicated. There are a number of companies that we haven't communicated yet. So it's it's uh, um, sometimes we decide not to communicate it yet to not be as uh, visible to mm -hmm. competition what you have in mind. Sometimes our startups don't want to be communicated because they have ongoing business with competitors. And they think it's it's not advantageous to um, you know to publish. A strategic relationship with one of the OEMs, so they would rather keep that keep that confidential. So I only I'm unfortunately limited to speaking about those that we have communicated. Let's let's take for example ChargePoint. Um, it's, it's ChargePoint is a, is a public charging company, the biggest public uh, charging provider in the US. They have something like a 70% 7-0 market share uh, in the US. Have, have way more than 20,000 charging points, and we use this partnership a lot to. Um, you know, make make charging more accessible, uh, push charging to the next level. We all know that 
um, one reason for not buying an EV is that the, the concern about can I have my car charged? And if you right. can address that point, it's important to make EVs successful. And, and ChargePoint has been very, very uh, aggressive and, and on the forefront of, of increasing the, public, the charging network. They recently, in December, they got a in Paris, um, they got a UN award for their for a project that they did with VW and BMW on fast charging. Where we had a joint project where we installed something like I don't know, 90 or 100 fast chargers on highways on the West Coast and on the East Coast. And we would like, we are very happy that one of our close partners is running this project um, and, and really, really making it very attractive and interesting so that they even get a prize from, from the UN. Right, so definitely. that's that's really a very good relationship we have with them. And, and you know, for every single investment, it really differs what we do with them. We, we do everything, we do something with every investment, but the degree differs. Sometimes we are very engaged with them. Sometimes it's an investment when we see what, what comes out of it. We have some ideas, but it's it's sure. not always, you know, it really depends. We don't want to be a, a burden for the for the startup. We want to be there when they really can work with us with a startup that just has four or five people. I would not expect them to do a huge project with BMW because they should rather look at their business, you know, get more successful, get bigger, and then when they're ready, do a project with us. So we don't push them. We we I like to see that, but only if they have capacity. And a company like Life Three Sixty, they they have capacity to do it. Um, it's um, Life Three Sixty is is now probably about about 100 people, I would I would guess, um, and when we invested, they you know had a, quite a low valuation and and were in their early stages. And we didn't do anything at the beginning, and then they you know raised more capital, got a very good valuation, and have more than six million users. And then then there's a time to do something with them. And for example, we integrated them in in our cars. It's um, to keep the family connected. You can. You can see where your family members are. You can, um, using the navigation, you can be navigated to the family members without knowing where they are. Uh, you know, if your wife tells you, pick up our son, you don't even have to know where he is. Oh, wow. Because you, you can just, he, he appears on the navigation map, <laughs> and then the car drives, you know, you can drive. You can oh, this drive. is integrated already into yes, the BMW experience. Okay, yes, fantastic. And you are able to get in early, you're able to get in late, it seems, yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, every stage. We we have been we have very early investments. My preference is to get in a little later, but um, we can also do seed investments. Um, usually, I think Series A and B is probably the favorite stage where we get in. Okay, so if some of the entrepreneurs, founders who are listening, are learning about this for the first time, if they're in certain areas, navigation, mm -hmm. uh, mobility, what 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 are the categories that they should be in? Yeah, uh, if they were to consider approaching you. For us, everything is interesting that's consumer-facing and is related to transportation. So we're not, right now, our focus is not on, on, on technology so much. So if someone has a huge new battery technology, that's interesting. And we're happy to connect them with the guys who, who are working on that. But that's not our investment mandate. The company wants us to focus on consumer-facing mobility services. And that maybe may have to do with navigation, may have to do with car sharing, taxi, intermodal, ride sharing, parking, um, anything that's somehow related, um, but it's also you know something like Move It. Um, it's an Israeli company um, who are offering an, who run an intermodal app, mm -hmm. um, so you can you know it's it's for public transportation in the first place. But there are components 
um, in that app that you can be used for individual transportation as well. So it's but it's people use it as a public transportation app. You can it's there in about seven, more than seven hundred cities worldwide, and you can get anywhere by public transportation using that app. And they have a huge user base. It's 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 a Sequoia investment. It's probably um, you know it's it's very very popular in South America um, and in areas where public transportation is really important. And in the U.S., it's in certain spots. It, it's it, it works well. It's 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 a great app, but of course, if public transportation is not good, it's it's not as useful as it is in areas where public transportation is a common means of transportation. Give us a sense of what's going on internationally. I mean, well, let's start with Europe. Is Europe sort of further along the path in terms of car sharing and, and all this stuff? Are we, are we just kind of getting started here? Yeah, it seems that I saw some studies about that, and it seems that car sharing works a little bit better in Europe than it does in, in the U.S., I think that the main reason is that the cities are denser. Um, it's, it's, it's that certain density is important when you want to run a car sharing scheme successfully. It's, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to offer that in a, in, a, in a small city. You would have to to limit the, you know, you have to only be able to, to offer the service in certain areas and customers don't know, well, is that still within the circle or is it outside the area? So it's all usually... And you have that you have that areas where the caching is available. You have that in every city, but it's 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 easier when you, when most of the city is part of it than if only a fraction of a big city is part of it. So it's you know, I think the European cities are a little bit easier, but there are also cities in the US that are very attractive. Um, we know that you know Vancouver is probably a city that's pretty where it works pretty well. Some of the West Coast cities work well that are denser than um, others like, like Houston or, or others that are small cities. So that's probably the main reason. I don't think it's a mentality topic. It's rather which cities are really appropriate for that for that service. And, um, you know, we, we started in Europe, but now we want to go also go be, be more aggressive in, in, in the U.S. Um, and offer it in, in, in a number of cities. Let me ask you this. You're on the vanguard of this stuff. Uh, you, you see how it works, starting to work in some European cities. What do you predict some of the experiences are going to be in a typical, dense, heavily populated city with cars in the coming years, 10, 20 years? Give us a sense of your thoughts. Well, I think that services will play an increasingly important role in having a dense city where parking is a problem. It's useful to have a service like Zerks when someone can take care of your parking. Um, you don't want to run, walk for two, three, four blocks to, to park your car. You want to get rid of the car and someone else takes care of it. So you will, I think these services are very interesting um, and anything that addresses the pain points um, is, is relevant. Reliable navigation, knowing that you're where you need to go. And I think there, there have been huge improvements. If you see the current version of BMW's navigation, it's, it's so much better than it used to be five years ago because you really trust the navigation. You know you know where it directs you. It's 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 99% of the times it's it's really accurate, and this is really important to have those, you know, to have those services that allow you to navigate better to where you want to go, and and have you know any services that make it easier to getting from A to B. But of course, also ride sharing is something that's you know important and interesting. Um, I think it's from what I can see is it, it adds to individual mobility. So some people may say, well, ride sharing is eating away the, the OEM's business. Um, you can also say, well, it, it adds clearly adds individual uh, mobility. Um, you know, if, if you see the number of taxi rides in San Francisco before Uber, and then now the number, now the number of rides that are taken 
and now that these services are available, there's a huge increase. So overall, oh. individual mobility um, is getting more accessible, more available, which is in principle good for OEMs, right? Because they, you know, drive cars will drive more. Um, people who used to, you know, get from A to B in a different way now using individual mobility, which is which is a good positive thing. Um, but I'm sure that it's um, uh, there's a lot will will happen in the next couple of years. OEMs will become more active. Um, it's, it will be interesting to see what impact that has, uh, whether you know more competition means you know whether that means prices are going down whether how many of the you know companies are able to compete with with companies that have a lot of cash um mm -hmm. in the back so it's it's it will be interesting to watch to which extent and how long investors will be able to um will be able to look at those services and then spend money right uber we know what uber lost in the first half of 2015 it's 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 a it's a huge amount of money and it's a very and, and um it's you know difficult to predict what's going to happen but um i would expect that oems will become more involved and um, everyone will search for their for his own it will take his own way and, and mm -hmm. have, a, have a different strategy but everyone will have a strategy in my perspective um and um, that may mean running your own service or just being a supplier for others. Everyone will probably think about that, and it will be interesting to see what OEMs will do. Right, right. It's going to be it's going to be fascinating. I, I imagine uh, there's going to be a lot of M and A activity in the coming years. I mean, we've already seen you know GM acquire Sidecar and others, especially if uh, the the venture environment goes where a lot of people think it's going to go, and things are going to be tough for a few years. What, what are your mm. thoughts on that? Yeah, and I've, I've been at a corporate venture event last week, and the, the, the most people said, "Well, there's going to be um, evaluations are are going to be more realistic in the future." Nobody really expected a huge drop, and that everything is going to change. But from my discussions with, with with investors, I get the impression that people are less willing to to offer huge amounts, um, offer high valuations that was partly necessary in the past to get deals done because there were was a lot of money available that may change a little bit but nobody said it's going to be a huge drop it's, it's i think it's going to be more realistic people with business models that you know, include monetization will still have a very good chance in getting money and maybe more challenging for those who don't really were only about users and, and no monetization that I think for those companies it will be a little bit more difficult to um, to find to find um, um, investors look this is this is a fascinating landscape you're on the vanguard of this this unbundling and this disruption this evolution whatever you want to call it I'd love to have you back on the show to keep us updated on what's going on thank you very much David it was a pleasure thank you so much my friend I really appreciate it show you around give you a taste of business you know 